Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, Save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said that he saved others himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him believe him now. He will have him, or if he said, I am the Son. For he said, I am the Son of God. These also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land to the ninth hour. About the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calls for Elias. Straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. There are a few words in the English language that we understand well when we hear them spoken to know what they mean. One of those words is the word forsaken. Jesus used it. When he called upon God, I don't know if I pronounced the words that he spoke from the old language properly or not, but we don't have to worry about them because they're interpreted for us. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means not wanted. It means to withdraw support from. It means to abandon. We all are taken aback when we hear of a child that has been forsaken and left. Not wanted. Abandoned. Left to die or at the most hope that somebody will have pity upon the child and take it in. I remember a story from some years back of a mother who did not want her boy, a young fellow in grade school. But she would not directly abandon him, but While he was at school, she would move. 
find her another place to live, and the, the boy would come home to discover that the house was totally empty. And he would have to go to the neighbors and say, do you know where my mommy is? And somebody, some way, would help him find his mother, and the process would be repeated over and over as she tried to abandon him, to forsake him. Can you imagine the trauma of that boy in school? As he sat in class and tried to concentrate on history or math, to wonder if when he got home he would have a mother, or would she have forsaken him? Terrible experience. <coughs> to be left. Nobody wanted. You may very well be one of those people who in your lifetime found yourself forsaken. But when Jesus speaks the words, it seems to be so much out of character for God. To forsake his only son? Why would he do it? How could it possibly be that he would in fact completely abandon his only son who had depended upon him and had said so many things about the father would never forsake his children? To discover that now as he hangs on a cross, he, he feels abandoned and cries out in this tremendous agony to ask why. Martin Luther studied this question for a long period of time and finally made a statement about it. He made this statement, he said, God forsaking God, who can comprehend it? I can't. Look at the crucifixion scene for a moment, if you will. They've taken him through the streets with him carrying his cross, going out now to Calvary for God offer, depending on which language you want to use. There they've nailed him to the cross and they've put him in place and we've talked about those things in past Sundays. It's noon now, 12 o'clock. Suddenly, everything becomes dark. He's on the cross in the midst of darkness. The darkest day in the history of the world, not just because of the shading of the sun, but the tragedy that took place on this day and he was hanging there now until three o'clock and during that period of time he said several things. He's praying to the father and he called him father. He told, asked the father to forgive the people that had done it. He has spoken to the thief and he said to the thief today you will be saved, you'll be with me in paradise. He's spoken to his mother and to John and asked John to take care of his mother. He's done all those things and now with all of this trauma he 
calls out to his God now. He doesn't call him Father, but God. He says, why? Why did you forsake me? It's very difficult sometimes to get an answer to the question, why? Maybe we ask the question because we don't know the circumstances that caused the situation. And evidently, our Lord Jesus did not comprehend why God had forsaken him. He felt alone, totally and completely. He did not feel that God was present with him, and indeed God was not present with him. He was hanging between heaven and earth, and God had forsaken him. The people below, with the exception of his mother, possibly one of the disciples, there wasn't a man on earth that cared for him. And he had on his back the complete burden of all the sins of all the world with nobody to care, seemingly. Why would God turn his back on his own son when the son had come to do the very will of God was the question that was going through Jesus' mind. Well, this isn't new at all for people to treat Jesus this way, for people to turn their back upon Jesus, but it was new for God to do it. And he didn't understand it. And he cries out, Eli, Eli. If you go over to Mark, you'll find that Eloi, Eloi, which means my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And they heard the Eli or the Eloi. And the people on the ground said, he's calling for Elijah. He thinks Elijah is going to come and take him off the cross. He was misunderstood. But that again is not anything new. He's, he was misunderstood all through his ministry. As a matter of fact, all through his life. Even his mother and father didn't understand it when he was in the temple talking to the priests, the members of the Sanhedrin and discussing things with them. They didn't understand what his purpose was. His disciples didn't understand Nobody seems to understand him. Have you ever said those words? Nobody understands me. Nobody sympathizes with me. I have a real purpose, a goal in life. I know what's right and what's wrong, and nobody seems to understand that. A new experience for Jesus. No. Because he'd been misunderstood all of his life. And he heard those people down there below say, Why, he's calling for Elijah. They wagged their heads at him and pointed their finger and said, Let us hear really who you say you are. Then come on down from the cross. Go ahead, let him call for Elijah and see if Elijah's going to come down and save him. <clears throat> totally misunderstood. He'd been charged 
with being insane on one occasion when he cast out demons. He had been accused of being a glutton person, a wine bibber. He had been accused of more things than you and I have ever been accused of. And he had never done a one of them. They laughed at him when he said that you destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it back up. And they thought he was referring to a humongous stone building there in Jerusalem. And he wasn't. He was referring to his own temple, his own body. He was accused of treason when he stood before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. And he was asked if he were a king. And he said, yes, I am a king. And he was accused of blasphemy when he admitted that he was the Son of God. Now here he is at the cross, hanging on it, and again misunderstood. They said, if you save others, surely save yourself. Well, that seems logical. He had certainly saved many people. He had saved the blind man not only gave him back physical eyes to see, but spiritual eyes to perceive the reality of what life is all about. He had healed the leper and changed those blotches upon that body back to normal skin. He put feet again on a man who had never walked in all of his life, and he went running and leaping around the temple. He had even gone to the tomb of his friend Lazarus after he'd been dead there in that tomb for three days and put life back in his body. And the woman who was carrying her son out to the cemetery to bury him, he stopped the funeral procession and brought life back to that young fellow. He had forgiven sins and healed bodies and done all of these miracles. And now he hangs here helpless and can't even save himself. Or could he? Yes, he could have come down off the cross. Yes, he could have stepped down onto the ground and caused it to open up and swallow all of those soldiers and all of the sanity. Yes, he could have taken his revenge for the uh, improper treatment that he had been given. But had he done it, you and I would not know what salvation is all about. <laughs> He could not come off the cross and pay the price for our sin. He could do one or the other. To save himself was to lose the world. To lose himself was to set in motion the process by which the world could be saved. Wasn't it not the same Jesus who said, He that loses his life will save it? And is that
that not what he was doing? Losing his life that he might save all who would come to him. So he chose to stay on the cross by his own personal choice. The Bishop of Smyrna, back in the early history of the church with the name of Polycarp, was a man that was burned at the stake for his faith. They asked him to deny the Lord Jesus. He said, eighty and six years have I served him. He has done me no wrong. I'm not quoting directly now. How could I deny him? They took him to the stake bound his hands and his feet and bound him to the stake. And he asked that they release the bonds and that he would stand in the fire. They released his bonds, cut the ropes off his hands and off his feet and around his waist and held him to the post. And he stood voluntarily in the fire and was consumed for his faith. Jesus hanged voluntarily upon the cross to give us life. But this doesn't explain why God has seemingly forsaken him. Jesus had said throughout his ministry that God would do this. John told us that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. We could say it in the words that Jesus used on the cross. He came to his own and his own forsook him. Abandoned him. He went to the synagogue and stood up and read the scripture about himself and said today the scripture has been fulfilled in your ears and they tried to stone him to death. Rejected in every way by all of mankind. But I want you to listen to John chapter 16 verse 32. I want you to listen to how confident Jesus is of the ever presence of God. He's speaking to his disciples. And he says, Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, now is now come. That ye shall be scattered, every one to his own, and shall leave me alone. Isn't that what happened? But notice what he said. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. That's what he told his disciples before the crucifixion. You're going to scatter. You are going to leave me alone. But he said, but I am not alone. The Father is with me. And then, 
when he gets to the cross and is hanging there for three hours, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Had he done it? Yes, he had. God had indeed turned his back upon his own son. But why? This is the thing that Jesus did not know. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. The writer of the Hebrews, quoting Genesis 28, said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Daniel believed it when he walked into the lion's den and was willing to die but knew that God would not forsake him. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, expressed the same thing as they stood in the furnace and was willing to die for their faith in God. <coughs> All of us have said it. God does not forsake his own. Yet he did. His very own. Why? Hey, why? Because that's what sin does. Sin separates. You find sin anywhere, you'll find it separating. A husband and wife have problems. There will be sin somewhere in the picture. Friends separate from friends, you'll find sin involved. A child and a parent separate, have difficulties, fight. There's sin there somewhere. David acknowledged it well. But after he had murdered, committed adultery, lied, did all the things that he did, he cried out in one of his psalms, Psalm 51, verse 12, he said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Listen, separation will take away the joy. Separation, the sin that divides husbands and wives, takes away the joy. Between children and parents, take away the joy. And when sin enters the picture between a person and God, that lost the joy of salvation. And it wasn't God that moved. David knew it. His life had become a shambles. There was nothing good and right about anything that he'd done. He'd lost all the joy he had in serving God. And he prayed to God earnestly that he would restore the joy of his salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. He had lost that. He simply lost the joy of it. Many of us find ourselves in that same position. That we'd lost our joy. Paul said to the Corinthians, He became sin who knew no sin. Jesus became not just died for our sins, but Jesus became sin. Poured into him was every sin of every man and woman. Poured into him on that day was our sin of lying and cheating and stealing. 
and adultery and murder and all the other things, the lying and, and all the things that any man, woman, or child has ever done. And he was condemned guilty. He became sin. Let me read that verse to you from 2 Corinthians from the Living Bible. It says it this way. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sin. Poured into him our sin. But that's not all it says. Listen to the last phrase. Then, in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. He poured us into Christ. And he poured Christ into us. There's only one way to say. And that's by the sacrifice of Christ who died alone on the cross. Rejected of men and abandoned by God and paid the price in full for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.